morning, good morning, and welcome to the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host, and today we are going to be looking at and taking an ideological sledgehammer to the great damage being done by woke idiocy in this world today, which is filled with intensifying real-world horrors, which need to be understood scientifically, fought vigorously, and overcome through an actual revolution. And we are in a time when this possibility for making a revolution is heightened because of how sharply divided this society is, split from the top to the bottom, shaking up norms and things that people have long assumed to be permanent. On the one side, the fascists are on a march. They are aggressively moving to remake society in a very dangerous and, and dark way. And on the decent side, there is all too much navel-gazing, turning away from the horrors that we face, or obsessing with tearing each other down, changing words rather than changing the reality, and frankly, turning away from the reality, seeking a retreat and safe space, all or much of it under the rubric of the so-called woke. So we're going to get into this today from a number of different angles. I, we've got a really great show for you today. Um, at the top of the hour, we're going to get into this through a conversation that I had with Rafael Caderas. Um, we are launching a, a major offensive to take this woke idiocy on, on the Revolution Nothing Less show, which I co-host on youtube.com slash therevcoms, and out in the world on some of the college campuses where it is especially intense. So we're going to start with that. And a little later in the hour, I'm going to bring you an extremely important and powerful program or excerpts of it that was held by Raymond Lada up at Revolution Books in Harlem, New York City on the global industry of sexual exploitation and degradation and why sex work, quote unquote, is not agency. It is oppression. And he gets into this and takes on the woke arguments that rationalize and try to prettify what is grotesque global scale oppression. A snippet of that program to start us out. In 2021, some 4.4 million women and children were trapped in trafficked for sexual slavery. As I said, we will hear more from Raymond later, but let's dive in now to my conversation with Rafael Caderas of the Revolution Nothing Less show. This is Rafael. The climate of our planet is being destroyed. The U.S. imperialists are moving closer to war with Russia and China. The fascists are advancing. And what's happening on the college campuses, which should be hotbeds of resistance and revolution? And what are all too many of the woke students and intellectuals focused on? changing words and changing labels on reality, rather than changing reality itself and fighting to end very real oppression. For example, the University of Southern California School of Social Work recently announced that they will no longer use the term field, as in field work or going into the field, because of its connotations with slavery and because it might upset students. Earth to USC, there are lots of fields in the world. By this logic, we should stop saying summer camp because Jewish students might be reminded of concentration camps. But this is the kind of woke lunacy that's all too prevalent on college campuses and beyond. It treats students like they're fragile babies. 
and it's low-hanging fruit for the fascists at Fox News to ridicule and to use it to deny the existence of actual racist oppression and undermine real struggles against it. And along with this, we have the identity politics police dictating who has a right to speak. And if you haven't experienced something directly, you should just shut up and check your privilege and stay in your lane. For example, a law school in Vermont covered up and is trying to destroy a mural depicting and condemning the brutality of slavery and upholding the abolitionist movement. You might be wondering, was this inspired by Ron DeSantis and the fascist campaign to erase black history? No. It was woke students and school administrators trying to whitewash the mural, in essence, because the artist is white. One student actually said the artist was depicting history, but it's not his history to depict. Think about the logic of this and where it leads if artists are only allowed to depict their own experience or their own identity group. No more fiction, no more acting, no more imagination. Plus, the history being depicted in these murals is an objective fact, which anyone can learn about and needs to learn about. But in the eyes of these woke identity politics hustlers, oppression becomes something to be owned rather than something to be exposed and fought against by everyone so that it can be ended. As Bob Avakian put it, This wokeness, with its evading of and diversion from the real struggle that needs to be waged, and its substituting of word changing, and cancel culture in place of this struggle is actually contributing to and furthering this nightmare. In the coming weeks, we'll be dissecting the whole framework of woke identity politics, the anti-scientific philosophy behind it that ob denies objective reality, the political program of trying to get inclusion and safe spaces within this oppressive capitalist imperialist system, the way it targets people with a little more privilege but never targets the system itself, and why all this is not just wrong, but extremely harmful to the struggle for a better world. We're going to be taking this on in a big way here on the RNL show and on college campuses, and we'll be sharing more about this soon. Today, we're going to be playing a clip from the Bob Avakian interviews on this. But first, we wanted to talk about an experience that Sansara and I had recently at a university in California where you gave a couple presentations in the lead up to, the, to International Women's Day. At one of these events, some students objected to the slogan, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution, basically saying, who are you to say that women's fury should be directed towards revolution? Isn't that a way of co-opting women's fury and denying their agency? Yeah, this did come up from quite a few of the students. And the first and most important thing, and this is a point that's going to be emphasized in the segment we play from Baba Vakin in, in a few minutes from the interviews he did on this show, the most important thing to start with is what is objectively true about reality? What is objectively the source of women's oppression? And what objectively can lead us to ending it? And that's a question of science, of scientifically examining reality. It's not a question of who's being centered or who has agency. And a scientific analysis of reality will reveal that the patriarchal oppression of women and all oppression based on gender and sexual orientation is built into this system of capitalism and imperialism. And unless and until we overthrow this system and construct a radically different system, a different economic system, social system, legal system, culture, unless and until we do that, we can't really go to work fully on digging up and overcoming thousands of years of oppression and degradation that women have faced. Again, that's a question of science. And the fury of women does need to be directed towards this system that is the source of their fury. That's not co-opting their fury. 
In fact, it's betraying women and their fundamental interests and urgent need to have an end to their oppression, not to struggle with them to direct it there and to just tail after their fury wherever it might be directed at any given time. I mean, think about all the Christian fascist women who were furious about the so-called killing of babies and played a very big role in the movement that recently overturned women's right to abortion and is causing hell right now for millions of women across this country with worse to come. They were furious. Should we follow them because they're furious? What about their agency? No, I don't think so. Again, it's a question of science and what is the source of this oppression and how do we end it? Or you take a more positive phenomenon like Me Too, and we talked about this with the students. Me Too opened the floodgates of righteous rage of women against sexual assault and harassment. It was very important. Sexual assault and even rape grow out of this system, out of the functioning of this system and how it shapes and molds men and boys. It is really important that this struggle and this fury be unleashed against this in its own right and that this increasingly be part of a movement for an actual revolution aimed at digging up the system and the soil that gives rise to this. But at the same time, there were other trends within Me Too, we have to be honest, that worked against this, that went in the opposite direction, that got fixated on tearing down individual men or canceling them rather than going after this system and the patriarchal oppression and culture it gives rise to. There were trends of throwing out due process or the presumption of innocence, of starting to treat every accusation as if it was the same as confirmation of guilt. There were trends of revenge against men. Look, I understand how women could become so furious that they say, I don't care if some innocent men suffer. We've been suffering for millennia, who cares? I understand that fury, but I also know that will not lead to emancipating women or anybody else and it will do great harm. And so I not only am willing to, but I feel a responsibility to, and we should all feel a responsibility to struggle over where this fury needs to be directed. Again, towards this system, towards overthrowing this system and uprooting it and establishing a radically different system so that we can build a world where never again do women know what it's like to be harassed walking down the street, beaten in their homes, degraded in the culture, raped in their dorms, discriminated against in the workplace, and where we don't live in a world where children labor in sweatshops to make our clothes and our cell phones, where the planet is not being burnt up and dried out and flooded, and where all of humanity has the ability to live and flourish collectively and cooperatively, that is possible through revolution. And that is a beautiful and righteous thing to struggle with women to direct their fury towards. And that is what humanity needs. Yeah, I really appreciate this. And again, we're going to be going at this in many different ways on this show and out in the world in the coming weeks. Today, as part of launching this effort and really bringing alive even more fully just how harmful this woke identity politics is, how much it takes you away from reality and stands as a major obstacle to the struggle we need to be waging to seize this time to make a revolution and get all of humanity free, we wanted to play an excerpt from the interview with Baba Vakian last fall where he addresses this question directly. We'll play the first part of his answer now, which goes into some key dimensions of this woke framework which are very much related to everything we've been talking about. And we'll show the second part in upcoming shows. So let's watch and make sure to comment with your thoughts. I wanna ask about what you've called woke lunacy. <laughs> and you've written in something terrible or something truly emancipating that woke is becoming a joke, a bad joke. 
And I think we see expressions of this all the time. Any, almost any time somebody speaks out against injustice or makes a piece of artwork dealing with other cultures or even exposing injustice, especially if they have some privilege, um, somebody comes out and calls them out. And you, quite often a woke mob comes and attacks them, says, who are you to do this? You're appropriating. You've got to stay in your lane, all of this nonsense. But this phenomenon of woke, yeah, well, I think, look, it's good to be awake and not asleep, but that's, you know, that's the first thing we can say. But this woke thing has turned into some, you know, a joke and a bad joke, you know, and it, it, the whole identity politics that's bound up with it. You know, uh, let's start down, let's start with the basics. You know, we talk about epistemology, which means your theory of knowledge, or you just more simply, your approach to understanding the world. This, is, this identity politics and the wokeness that goes along with it is an, not only unscientific, it's an anti-scientific epistemology. It's an anti-scientific approach to understanding the world, the relations among people, what causes these relations, et cetera, and so on. Because it basically, you know, is based on, it's based on the notion that there isn't one objective reality that's the same for everybody. Yes, that objective reality may affect different people differently, but it's the same objective reality. You know, the storm, the hurricane in Florida is a hurricane in Florida for everybody who lives there. It's not a hurricane, you know, that for people who believe in hurricanes and not a, not a, a non-hurricane for people who don't believe in hurricanes. So objective reality is objective reality. You know, the earth is round, not flat. That's true for everybody, Kyrie Irving, I don't care who. The earth is round, not flat. You know, that's true for everybody. The earth goes around the sun. That's different than the appearance. It appears that it's the other way around, that the sun is, you know, the sun rises and the sun sets. But that has to do with the position of the earth in relation to the sun. And the earth is going around the sun, not the other way around. That's true for everybody. I don't care, you know, if you like to believe that, you know, that you are actually controlling the motion of the sun because you are sitting on the earth in a powerful position to determine the motion of the sun. Bullshit. You know, the sun exists independently of you, objectively. That's the same reality. But this identity politics wokeness says there's different reality for different identities and different people. You know, and you hear it all the time, your truth, our truth, you know, there's not different truths. Truth, let's get this clear, truth simply means an accurate reflection of reality. It means that what's being said about something corresponds to the actual reality. Like I just said, it's true that the earth is round, not flat, okay? That's a, that's a truth. There's not different truths for different identities. So right away, epistemologically, in terms of its anti-scientific approach, this identity politics wokeness is, you know, is wrong, and it's bound to do harm, because when you're, when you're not only unscientific, but you're anti-scientific, when you, you know, you hear some of these wokesters will even say things like, oh, objective reality, that's a, you know, white, white male supremacist construct. There is no objective reality. You know, well, you know, that is obviously harmful because if you don't even know that there's objective reality or you deny that there's objective reality, then how can you actually understand objective reality and go about changing it in the, in, in the way it needs to be changed? You can't. 
You're only going to be misled. You know, and this, this does a great deal of harm just on that level. And it confuses a lot of people, you know. And, and then there's the whole thing that flows out of that. Why? You know, what goes along with denying objective reality and saying that there's not truth, you know, but just different truths for different identities? I mean, yes, look, let's examine it. For people who are oppressed, but by the way, I use the word oppressed deliberately, not marginalized. Because let's examine these terms. What's the, uh, things are understood best in terms of their op opposites. Mm -hmm. Understand up by what's down, right? Understand cold by what's hot, so on and so forth. What's the opposite of marginalized? It means being not marginalized. It means being in the mainstream. It means being included in the society as it is. If you're talking about marginalization, then that's the logical remedy, quote unquote. But if you're talking about oppression, it's not just our narrative versus their narrative. It's actual oppression, people being held down, forcibly held mm -hmm. down, being violently suppressed. That's oppression, it means pushing down on people, keeping them down. If you're oppressed, the answer to it is to, is to end the oppression. And then you go looking for what's the source of the oppression, what is it rooted in, and how do we uproot it? Because if you want to uproot something, you have to know what it's rooted in. And it's rooted in this system, all these different forms of oppression. So marginalized, right there, you see something's wrong. Now, this does a lot of harm, because then if you say there's different realities for different people, and you say some people are marginalized, then those people who've been left out, who've been pushed to the margins or kept in the margins, it should be their turn now. You know, the whole point, Lenin once said, anybody who makes revolution with the outlook, you had your turn, now it's my chance to have a go. Anybody who does that does it with the outlook of the petty bourgeoisie, the middle class. And that is not an outlook that can lead a revolution. The middle class precisely in between. It's caught in between these two contending classes, the, the proletariat, the masses of oppressed people, and the oppressors, the ruling class. And so it, you know, it wants to try to carve out a position for itself in between and try to hold off these two different opposing, you know, fundamentally opposing forces. And, but it can't do it. And so its positions are always uh, you know, ill-founded. They always are out of keeping with reality. But this is, you know, this is the way these people want to talk about it. Now, if you are trying to actually fight against oppression and you run up against all this identity politics wokeness, then what happens? Well, the marginalized, they haven't been allowed to have their right to speak so they, and their right to get somewhere, so they, are, they have to be in the front of everything. Doesn't matter where it's going as long as they're in the front of it. And, you know, it's not going toward ending their actually oppressed condition. It's just, at, at most, striving for a better position within the system as it exists with all of its horrific oppression, and yes, resting parasitically, living off of billions of people in the world as a whole. All right, so that was the voice of Bob Avakian from the Bob Avakian interviews on the Revolution Nothing Less show at youtube.com slash therevcoms. And it is concluding a whole uh, discussion of the harms of woke idiocy in contrast to the urgent revolution that is needed for humanity and is more possible at this time. So the harm of this woke idiocy is 
twofold, double intensified because there's so much more that is possible, so much more that is liberating and possible. Um, we're going to be staying on this theme in broad strokes in future uh, episodes, coming weeks of the Michael Slate show, as well as the Revolution Nothing Less show. And throughout the rest of this program, in a moment, we're going to go to the Raymond Lada program on how, quote unquote, sex work is not agency, it is oppression. But first, let's take a musical interlude with Arturo O'Farrell. Once again, you are listening to the Michael Slate show. Huele muy mal, a poder me oprime la libertad. Hoy mi gente me recuerda una vez más a Salvador Allende y al asesino de Azordaz. Pues han llegado con tanques, garrotes y aviones para dialogar. Y al que ponga resistencia lo desaparece el halcón judicial. Y al mostrar bandera de paz nos han lanzado bombas de gas. ¡Ay! Vienen a aplastar a su gente. ¡Bang, bang! Incredible Afro-Latin jazz musician Arturo O'Farrell with his orchestra down at the border. That was from the album and incredible performance called Fandango at the Border with musicians from both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, both sides of the wall, playing together because music knows no boundaries. It's a beautiful album, beautiful concept, beautiful harbinger of a future and a world that we should make real. So with that, we want to move forward in our show here at The Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor, your guest host. Next up, we have Raymond Lada on the global industrialization of sexual exploitation and slavery. Why sex work is not agency, it is oppression. This is from a program he did at Revolution Books in Harlem. You'll hear a little bit of that. And then he'll be joined in conversation by Andy Z, who is the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show at Rev at youtube.com slash the revcoms. So we'll weave back and forth between Raymond Lada's presentation and the conversation between Andy Z and Raymond Lada. Let's listen. 4.4 million women and girls. Listen to Mary's story. She was a promising high school student from the Nigerian state of Edo. She dreamed of going to the university She was 16 when a woman approached her mother and offered to take her daughter to Italy to find work. Mary's family pushed her to accept the offer, to lift the family out of poverty. Mary wound up being trafficked into prostitution for three years, forced into selling her body, enduring beatings and threats at gunpoint and forced to watch the brutal degradation, carrots violently inserted into the vaginas of even younger girls as an object lesson for what might happen if she resisted. 
That was Raymond Lada from his talk at Revolution Books in New York City titled The Industrialization of Sexual Exploitation and Global Capitalism or Why Sex Work is Not Agency but Nightmare and Degradation and Why We Need Revolution. Raymond Lada is a spokesperson for Revolution Books in New York City and a revolutionary political economist as well as a follower of the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian. Raymond is an advocate for the new communism developed by Bob Avakian. Raymond, welcome to the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show. Hey, Andy, I'm very excited to be here, especially as we mark International Women's Day. Raymond, that program that you did at Revolution Books was incredible and incredibly important. Your exposure of the scale and the scope of the industrialization of sexual exploitation and the horrors that are wrought from this tremendous degradation of women, this has been long overdue. It's a long overdue slam against the au courant rationalizations of the violence that this whole matrix that you describe does to women. And you gave a sharp polemic to shake and wake people up to the blinders of the woke justifications of this societal horror under the signboard of agency. So, Raymond, we're going to play a few of the filmed excerpts from your talk, and then we're going to have a chance to discuss and uh, hear from you about a couple of these points that you made in the presentation. So I want to start with two short excerpts, Raymond, from your talk. The commercial sexual exploitation of women and of young girls and boys has reached massive proportions. What is euphemistically referred to as the global sex industry has evolved into a massive profitable component of individual national economies in the world and of the world imperialist economy as a whole. The sex industry encompasses brothel, street, escort and client-based transactional prostitution, strip clubs and massage parlors, pornography, military prostitution, global sex tourism, and the unspeakable horror of sex trafficking. Yes, sex work is work. And to be clear, prostitutes, sex workers, should not be criminalized, persecuted, and abused. They're human beings whose humanity, as is the case for all women, is denied, devalued, and endangered. But let's also be clear that sex work is not just work. It is the female body for sale, on offer, for sexual control, domination, and degradation. Whether non-consensual or consensual, this activity represents the extreme commodification and objectification of the female body. So, Raymond, could you paint more of a picture of what you rightly say is euphemistically referred to as the global sex industry? Yeah, Andy. Um, in short, it is mammoth. It is integrally entwined with the workings of the world imperialist economy. And it is a horror. You know, um, there are approximately 42 to 45 million 
prostitutes in the world. 80% of them are women. Most are 13 to 25 years of age. Most are beholden to pimps. And most of these women do not want to be doing this. So that's one level of metric. Second, you know, we can consider countries like the Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, and their sexual commerce, the sex industry, commercial sexual exploitation accounts for anywhere between 2 to 14% of the economic activity of these countries. And in the early 1990s, there were some 200,000 to 800,000 prostitutes, again, overwhelmingly women, in Thailand who were under 18 years of age. What kind of life, what kind of future for these young girls and young women? This is the reality of what we're talking about. And, you know, it is immensely profitable. Um, in the mid-2010s, um, now we're talking about sexual trafficking, the trafficking in women, sexual slavery. That generated annually some $100 billion in revenues. That's more than the combined profits of Nike and Starbucks, Google, and Microsoft. That's the immensity of what we're talking about. And it is this horror. Raymond, the scale and scope of what you've just presented and is in your talk that people should really listen to the whole thing is, 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 is just, it's shocking. And then you combine that with the story you told of Mary and multiply that by the numbers you've just spoken. And it's, it's really uh, horrifying. After that section of the talk, however, you went into the question of the relationship between people's individual experience and societal trends and the controversial matter of choices. Let's watch what you said. I come to my second point of analysis and controversy. One might choose to be a sex worker, but you don't get to choose the choices. The fact that people might choose to become a sex worker does not change the nature of prostitution. Yes, this could be a choice that an unemployed, poorly paid woman might make, an unemployed or poorly paid woman might make in order to feed her children. Or it could be the choice of an upper middle class graduate student to maximize her income and her study time. Or it could be a choice that a trans person kicked out of a family or denied work might make in order to survive and seek some kind of affirmation. But all this is an indictment of a system based on exploitation, profit, and gender oppression. Why is dealing drugs or joining gangs or going into the U.S. imperialist military part of the narrow range of choices that this system offers poor black and brown youth. The choices people confront flow from the nature of this system. Let me repeat that. The choices that people confront flow from 
the nature of this economic social system of capitalism imperialism. But individual choices also have social effect and consequence. A woman might choose to produce or participate in pornography, and it might involve consensual sex. But pornography has a social effect. It shapes the outlook of young boys and men in general, and women as well, as to what is acceptable, expected, indeed valued in the realm of sexual relations. Let me put it more starkly. Back in 2011, members of a Yale fraternity gathered in front of the Yale Women's Center holding placards and chanting, no means yes, yes means anal. Boys and men are socialized sexually by pornography. It is a primary source of information about sex for young people, and young men are habituated to regard the depiction of sex in pornographic film and other media as realistic. So the individual choice to engage in pornography has real social effect. And by the way, in that same survey I cited, it's a 2022 survey of the sadness and depression affecting teenage girls in the U.S., one in seven of those teenage girls said that they experienced forced sex as teenagers already. Now, there are those who defend sex work as the exercise of bodily autonomy, the right to do with one's body as one desires. And some people have written revolution books or emailed us that there's a uh, contradiction to say that you uphold the right of a woman to control her reproductive choices and destinies, yet oppose bodily autonomy when it comes to sex work. But again, we have to look at the social content of rights and whether they harm or benefit society from the standpoint of the well-being of society and the struggle to end oppression. Women's right to abortion is vital to the emancipation of women, to their ability to participate fully and equally in society, because forced motherhood is female enslavement. But when a right-wing fanatic says, no one can tell me to get a vaccine, it's my body, this anti-scientific individualism damages the well-being of society. Raymond, this is tremendously important bringing to life and bringing to bear a critical understanding that Baba Vakin has been stressing now for a number of years that pulls back the lens on how the continue how this system continually generates choices for masses of people that keeps them and humanity trapped within the killing confines of the world as it is blinding them to what the world could be and what is in the interests of humanity it's my uh, i watched the uh, talk on uh, you know on um, the, the, the uh, live stream of it, and I noted that this point kicked off a principled controversy and a discussion in the Q&A. Would you share some of that with the RNL audience? 
Yeah, sure. Um, you know, no sooner had I finished my talk, Andy, than um, a woman jumped up from the audience and uh, she identified herself as a former prostitute, sex worker, and someone who had appeared in uh, pornographic films. And she said, look, I completely disagree with you. Um, this uh, was a conscious decision I had made. This was, you know, several years back. I uh, was a sex worker prostitute for 20 years, and I made some 20 pornographic films. My decision, and I found it utterly rewarding and fulfilling, and uh, what you're telling me is uh, is not right. It doesn't square with my experience. And uh, no sooner had she finished that comment than someone in the audience, Jim Farad, um, a veteran of the gay liberation movement and a uh, radical activist and thinker, he responded to her and he said, look, I don't doubt the uh, sincerity of what you're saying and how you might have uh, felt about this. But this is a minuscule slice of experience of this big social phenomenon of the global sex trade, of global sex exploitation. And what's the essential character of this? You know, the exploitative, degrading, you know, ways in which people are forced, you know, to throw themselves into this, the psychological and the physical hurt that it brings with it, the, deg the degradation. And this, uh, Andy, I have to say, opened up a really important discussion and debate in the audience about the relationship between individual experience and a larger social reality, which in this case is, um, you know, the global sex industry, prostitution, sex work. And what is the essence of this? What does it actually involve? What does it do to people? What does it require of people? And, um, you know, we got into it. And it, the question of choice is, is one that, as you pointed to, you know, Bob Avakian has been emphasizing has to be seen in the societal context. Now, People may feel that they're choosing to be a sex worker, but there is economic compulsion that's involved in the majority of cases. People are forced to do this, you know, to feed families, to pay rent. And then there's also what appears to be choice is the internalization of the values of the system. And this, too, is masked. You know, because people are so inculcated with those values. So what is objectification of the female body is taken to be self-objectivization, self-commodification of the female body by those who rationalize this. I am making this decision to market my body to market my sexuality. So now it's self-degradation and that becomes agency and that becomes empowerment and this is how you know you have you know what's going on right now where the dominant i have to say the dominant understanding of uh, prostitution of sex work is that this is the conscious choice that people are making and again you know here we are people are locked into the immediacy of their individual experience and that becomes the arbiter of what is the underlying character of this 
When in fact, when you pull the lens back, as we've described, you see, you know, what this means to women's bodies, to women's psyches, and how it degrades. And now this becomes conscious choice, when in fact, it's a function of the patriarchal relations in society. And what happens is that this now limits people's sense of possibility that their individual immediate lived experience and woke thought, woke politics, prioritize the immediate lived experience of people. And that becomes the boundary of understanding. And that becomes the boundary of possibility for change. Let me jump in and remind you that you are listening to the Michael Slate Show. Here on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, kpfk.org, we're listening to a program held at Revolution Books up in Harlem, New York City recently, featuring Raymond Lada on the industrialization of global sexual exploitation, or why sex work is not agency, it is oppression. And we are hearing excerpts of that program and presentation and a conversation that Andy Z, the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show, held with Raymond, uh, reflecting on the program and some of the controversy and really healthy and important debate that it kicked up. Let's return to that now. What does this mean for for every woman? In other words, there's the question here of of, of those who see this as their agency, but... There's a question here of the broader way that women perceive themselves in society, which you just spoke to, and how even people have to worry about going home from the dorm at night for students, walking home from work if you're working second shift, and and how this conditions uh, both how women view themselves, but it conditions a lot how men view women, and that's created a, a really horrific situation. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about patriarchy, and that involves, you know, the sense of male entitlement, you know, the right to the female body, the right to dominate, you know, the right, you know, to insist that women, you know, satisfy their sexual needs and are at their service, at their beck and call. And women are then expected, you know, to uh, promote themselves to market themselves, to brand themselves, to present themselves in the market of human relationships. Yes, human relationships become marketized and monetized, and the female body and female subordination to men is how this society functions, that the female body on offer, that is, its prostitute, and the female body that must be the source of titillation to men. And, you know, you talk about, um, you know, we talk about, you know, the pornography industry, and you played a clip earlier from, you know, my talk about how this socializes young boys and men into how they are to carry out sexual relations with women and with other men, you know, in a society in which patriarchy and, you know, the dominance of male over female is what defines sexual relationships of all genders. This is what becomes internalized. So this is how this all impacts women, impacts men, and it really 
poisons relationships, you know, on a massive scale. And it's a sense of sexual entitlement that men have. And it's a sense that women have to cater to sexual whims of men. And as I said, you know, put themselves on offer in the marketplace of human relationships. Well, I, I, I just want to say that uh, and follow up on that comment that we're going to close with the your fourth point in your talk. So, Raymond, uh, uh, just congratulations on a great presentation and program. And I want to thank you for being on the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show once again. Well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to coming back. Okay, so now we're going to play this part four from Raymond's uh, talk at Revolution Books. We don't have to live this way. We don't have to live this way. This, too, is part of reality. We can do far better than deluding ourselves that we can own our own oppression. We can make a revolution to overthrow this capitalist imperialist system and put an end to that oldest oppression and to all exploitation and oppression. A revolution to create a society and world where women are not on display and viewed as sexual objects or see themselves as marketable sexual objects. Where there is full equality between women and men and differently gendered people, where we can go to work on uprooting patriarchy and male supremacy, a total revolution that transforms the economy, the ways that people relate to each other, everything. A society that fosters sexual relations based on shared affection, mutual pleasure, and equality. The vision and blueprint for this liberatory socialist society is found in the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic in North America that uh, someone could uh, hold up or... Right, they put it in me. <laughs> Revolution Books is prepared. So uh, this is the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic in North America, that vision and blueprint for a liberatory socialist society. It was written by Bob Avakian, the leader of this revolution. The socialist economy abolishes private capitalist control over the means of producing wealth. It puts an end to the measuring rod of profit. It applies the resources of society towards meeting social need and towards the betterment of humanity. Women, men, trans people will not be forced to seek out prostitution to feed children and pay rent. The family and the primary responsibility within the family of women as principal caregivers will radically change. There'll be new living and working arrangements that break down isolation and fragmentation. The rearing of children will increasingly become the responsibility of society. Traditional gender roles will be interrogated, challenged, and transformed. Art and culture will be spawning grounds of new thinking and attitudes. It's not a fixed playbook. There will be standards and criteria furthering the emancipation of women and overcoming all oppressive divisions among people. And there will be experimentation at the same time. 
There'll be broad debate and continuing struggle to transform society. The new state power will give backing to women and to all fighting to carry the struggle for the liberation of women forward. And within the framework of a society moving towards eliminating all exploitation and oppression and creating a world community of humanity, the new socialist society will foster unprecedented dissent and intellectual ferment. The, intro, the, in, the educational system, I'm excited by the vision, the, edu, the educational system will train people to take up the scientific method and approach to the natural and social world and to be critical thinkers. All this contributes to the ability of people to more deeply understand and profoundly change the world. Now, we are in a moment in history, a rare time, when it becomes more possible to make this revolution that I'm talking about. And this is so, principally so because of the sharpening divisions within the U.S. ruling class and sharpening polarization in society overall. It is a highly volatile situation and also a highly dangerous one. There is the potential for full-out fascism. And these fascist forces are rampaging throughout society, outlawing abortion, trying to prevent the teaching of black history, demonizing and wanting to quarantine trans people. There's the growing danger of world war. And there is the real possibility, the danger of quantum leaps in the fascist program to institutionalize traditional morality and control over women, alongside the even greater expansion of the sex industry. So here you have a lethal and poisonous combination of high-tech social degradation and the enslavement combined with repressive fundamentalism. Things are coming to a head. Something terrible or something truly emancipating, as Baba Vikian has put it. A world of growing horrors or a radically different and far better world. You know, I've spent time talking about choices. So here's the question. Are you going to allow your dreams for something better to be confined to choosing the best terms of commodification within this system? Or are you going to take up the liberating cause of revolution to radically transform the choices that all humanity could have? That was Raymond Lada, and this is Margot Price, You Don't Own Me. You don't own me I'm not just one of your many toys You don't own me Don't say I can't play with all the boys Don't tell me what to do And don't tell me what to say And when I go out with you, baby Don't put me on display Cause you don't 
You Don't Own Me, what could be a better follow-up to that riveting and really crucial discussion of the global industrialization of sexual exploitation and slavery and why this is not agency, it's oppression. The whole theme of today's show has been getting into the reality up against the woke idiocy that tries to redefine reality or put new labels on reality and rebrand oppression as agency, oppression as something to be owned rather than something to be understood scientifically and ended. So that's the through line from my early conversation with Rafael Caderas. I want to thank him for what he did in this uh, episode today. Um, Raymond Lada, Andy Z. Bob Avakian, we have brought these voices to you and my own. Sansara Taylor is the guest host here on The Michael Slate Show. And I want to thank Henry Carson for assistant producing, Gary Baca for engineering. I want to thank you for spending the time with me, Outer National, for the music that I opened the show with. And remember, the problem is not human nature. It is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible. I will talk to you next week.
Grows inside like a cancer. 